BCP Proper's podcast, a show where we discuss the proper lectionary readings of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. My name is Stephen Wedgworth, the rector of Christ Church Anglican. I'm joined by my friend and co-host Clayton Hutchins of Holy Cross Anglican in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Clayton, great to be back with you. It's great to be with you as well, as always. So today is the 20th Sunday after Trinity, or or rather this week we'll be focusing on uh, the 20th Sunday after Trinity that'll come up uh, this Sunday. And we've commented in the past about this phenomena, but it really hits you clearly this week. Uh, This is an anticipation of Advent. You've perhaps heard of uh, Christmas in July. Uh, we could call this, uh, you know, Advent in Trinity, uh, <laughs> ad- Advent in October. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's that reality of the BCP wanting to smooth the transition and, and prepare you for uh, the upcoming uh, uh, change in season. And so you see that in a few other places of the church year. And I think it, it really stands out this Sunday for a few reasons we'll get into, but even you know going forward from this Sunday, I think there's just going to be this louder-than-usual note of a, a focus on the eschatological coming, um, and, and that will just continue in the following weeks until Trinity, um, well, what's called the Sunday before um, Advent, until that Sunday is just, uh, you know, very, very clearly, even the epistle is, you know, a, a text from Jeremiah, and it's, it's, it's focusing you, preparing you for Advent. So it's, it's kind of like the dimmer switch, you know, it's, it, it's starting to, to get uh, brighter or, or darker. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll say more about each of these readings, but for this week, it's pretty clear that the gospel reading sets the tone for judgment. This is this parable of the kingdom, a wedding feast, and there's this uh, this picture of the final judgment with uh, heaven and even hell there. Then the epistle is a warning about how to live in the world when time is short. I think that'll stand out really clearly. The, the, the days are evil, so we have to use our time wisely until, until the end of those days, uh, until the coming of Christ and the judgment. And then both of the Old Testament lessons are eschatological passages from uh, Joel chapter 2, Micah chapter 6, uh, about God examining the deeds of his people, what he's truly looking for, uh, and the uh, the great and awful day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So let's begin by uh, discussing the collect of the, of the week, and then uh, we'll move into the scripture passages. O Almighty and most merciful God, of thy bountiful goodness, keep us, we beseech thee, from all things that may hurt us, that we, being ready both in body and soul, may cheerfully accomplish those things that thou wouldst have done, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So what stands out to you, Clayton, in this collect? Well, um, it's a uh, it's a collect that uh, again acknowledges God's grace um, and and uh, mercy, which has been um, 
you know, themes up to uh, up to this point. Um, and so, you know, most merciful God, so almighty and most merciful, and then of thy bountiful goodness, um, really, you know, emphasizing his, his good, his merciful, his gracious character, undergirding our requests and uh, being necessary for us. Um, and I think that uh, there's this uh, idea of being ready. I was thinking about that, how that's kind of an interesting uh, idea. So uh, keep us from all things that may hurt us, that we being ready, both in body and soul, may cheerfully accomplish those things that thou wouldest have done. Um, And yeah, the concept of readiness, it kind of creates this sense of like anticipation, like something's something's coming (laughs) and... um, and, and, and that's something in this case is, is doing the things that God would have us do. But I don't know, I was kind of just thinking about, you know, could we even relate that to the more general sense of anticipation for the Lord's coming, living wisely in this time, uh, that, that idea of readiness is, uh, I think, apt for a, a Sunday that is going to, you know, focus on living now in a way that's proper for the, the latter coming. So that's something that it makes me think about. No, I think that that's right, and that matches the epistle reading really directly, right? Being ready, uh, redeeming the mm-hmm. time. Um, I also notice this emphasis on mercy and goodness, <laughs> and that, that's actually really helpful because uh, as we get into some of these passages, I think it'll be uh, fairly easy to read them and be, be a little bit disturbed, a little bit afraid uh, of, of the exacting judgment of God. So this collect here is reminding us that uh, even with his his ju- judgment, um, he is merciful, abounding in goodness. Yeah. Um, I'll note as well. It it it, it says um, being ready both in body and soul. So I think that causes us to say, as we think about the things that may hurt us, um, we should think both of not just you know physical harm, but also spiritual harm. And so we should kind of view that holistically. Um, whatever natural or, um, or spiritual um, hindrances there may be, may the Lord keep uh, those things from us, uh, or rather, yeah, keep us from those things <laughs> so that we can be ready uh, to accomplish the things that he wills, uh, the, the things that thou wouldest have done. And that idea of what thou would, what thou will, um, also connects to the uh, epistle, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Right. Yeah, very good. Also notice the that, that word cheerfully mm. <laughs> kind of <laughs> stuck out to me. I noticed that that is a, it's an addition or an edit Earlier versions um, had a word that was more uh, connected to freely or uh, unimpended, uh, you know, w- with free hearts. Uh, that's uh, earlier ways it was mm-hmm. referenced. Uh, and this gets turned to cheerful, cheerfully. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, a free heart and a cheerful heart, those are, those are similar. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. It makes sense. 
Um, but I think the cheerful also matches things we'll see in the epistle reading, uh, this business of you know singing and giving thanks. Mm-hmm. So also an important uh, idea to keep in mind when we talk about the life of holiness. Yeah, and we'll also see it in the Old Testament readings as well. There's going to be judgment there, but there's also going to be uh, Joel to, you know, be glad and rejoice. Um, there's going to be much to be rejoicing in uh, for the Lord's, you know, bountiful goodness. We're going to see that um, being uh, discussed in the Old Testament readings as well. So really, I think this collect is, is setting the, the stage well um, for... Uh, both the anticipatory note um, and then that that um, uh, note of, of of cheerfulness, as we've just said, and then the will of God, doing the will of God. Um, all of this, I think, is preparing us well for really all the readings that are proper to this day. All right, very good. Well, let's look at the epistle. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21. So, uh, again, continuing to work through Ephesians. Um, The last several weeks have been in Ephesians. It's not a full-blown consecutive treatment of every single verse, but it it is going in order, and it is covering fairly large portions of Mm -hmm. Ephesians. We were in chapter 4 last week, now here we are in chapter 5, and continuing to emphasize the part of Ephesians that teaches about sanctification and holy living. Mm -hmm. So it says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and to the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So, Clayton, what are your thoughts about the Ephesians reading? There's a lot to see here um, and notice, especially in light of our discussion of the Collect, uh, in terms of connections. I trust we'll get into those, but I'll mention one thing that that hasn't come up yet, but I just kind of want to underline, but there is this emphasis on wisdom here. Um, Walk circumspectly. Walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Uh, and then in, in, in the next sentence, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There's this emphasis right off the bat on let's walk in wisdom, let's not be foolish, don't be unwise. <laughs> and so this wisdom emphasis, I think, is really fitting um, for you know thinking about the church year just more architectonically. Um, the Old Testament lessons were almost done um, with the the kind of sequential through the Old Testament that we started really in the Jesimas with Genesis. Uh, that's going to end next Sunday and um, morning uh, prayer next Sunday. And then uh, evening prayer is when we're going to go out, a bit out of order now, and it's going to start going through Proverbs. So you actually end with the wisdom literature in the uh, Old Testament, you know, church year uh, reckoning. <laughs> Interestingly, also um, in the daily office, it ends with the apocryphal books, which why read something that's not part of the canon? 
um, according to 39 articles, it's, it's to kind of draw examples of life and instructions and manners, kind of to read them as wisdom literature, even if it is narrative, still kind of reading it in a wisdom literature kind of way. So um, I think this is something I may have mentioned before on a previous Sunday, but just, you know, recognizing the role of wisdom as a proper response to uh, all of God's great acts of salvation when it comes to how shall we live in this world? Um, well, we should walk in the way of wisdom. And I think that uh, in the context of the church here, this epistle is introducing us to that idea before we actually get into, you know, Proverbs starting next week. So anyway, that's one thing to see. Yeah, the sanctification of the Christian, it involves moral exertion and uh, trying to discern the will of God. (laughs) Um, But it's not going to be like it was in the Old Testament, you know, um, the sort of under the tutelage of the law, um, differing not from a slave, as Paul says in Galatians. Uh, there's a there's a freedom, but it's not a freedom to sin and do whatever you want. It's freedom to do the right thing in the right way uh, as you can. Uh, and so wisdom is exactly what you have to have exactly. to, to sort all that out. Now, a few other things that I see in here, if you remember from last week, the Ephesians reading had a lot of um, put off this kind of thing, this bad living, and uh, put on this good thing. So uh, often we will say that uh, there's the, the negative breaking of the law, but then there's the affirmative keeping of the law, and every negative implies an affirmative, every affirmative implies a negative, that sort of a thing. You see that also here but maybe in a surprising way. Uh, Do not be drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit, singing. So, you know, the negative is don't get drunk, but here the positive is, but sing in the Holy Spirit. Kind of an interesting idea to consider. Um, uh, The opposite of being drunk is not merely human sobriety, but joyful mm. spirituality. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's uh, interesting that focus specifically on uh, on singing and on psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, that is where he kind of starts with with regard to what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Um, the important role of um, uh, <laughs> I don't know music. Uh, and and specifically singing, you know, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which, of course, there's lots of debate about what exactly is meant by each of those categories, but, you know, regardless of all the weeds of that right. debate, um, it's it's clear enough that, that, um, that he is urging us to um, be utilizing um, Christian and, and biblical um, hymnody and, and, and psalmody. Um, and that this is a vital means of grace in a vital way that you uh, are filled with the Spirit, or at, at least what that leads to. Um, yeah, and the, the rhetoric here, it's interesting. It's naming the singing, but the singing and making melody mm-hmm. is happening in your heart, and you're speaking these things to one another. Now, I don't think that that means so, therefore, mm-hmm. you don't actually sing it. That's not where I'm going with this. I I do think, though, that would mean that this is not a great verse to try to use for um, corporate liturgy instructions, if you've ever encountered that. You know, especially, aha, we must sing these things and only these things, and that's when you get into the debates about what it means. I don't really think Paul 
is giving us a liturgy lesson here. I think he's dealing with our life, our sanctification, mm. the way we relate to one another. And the speaking, I think, is similar to that language of, you know, having a godly conversation. It's it's the way you talk to people, but also the way you treat them, the way you live mm. with them, all of that sort of a thing. So I think he's saying here that the, the spiritual music is in your heart, and it has so kind of filled you and inspired you then it leads you to treat mm. people that way you know the the music inside of you guides you to how you then actually mm. get along with people yeah yeah that's interesting um i'd be curious to hear that kind of fleshed out more because it is really interesting speaking to yourselves um or you know uh, was a more like the ESV has addressing one another. So there's this uh, kind of addressing one another, you know, dimension to what he's saying here, uh, and not merely um, like singing to the Lord. Um, right, and this is all mm-hmm. going to lead us to that final verse: submit to one another. And, and then if you were to keep reading in Ephesians, you get into the the, um, the hierarchy passages, you know, husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. That's what's mm-hmm. all about to follow from this. So before you get into the hierarchy relations, first of all, you need to have musical hearts, which will then mm-hmm. guide the way you treat one another. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a parallel text would be Colossians three sixteen. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness and right. words to God. So that that tie even between yeah. the uh, the wisdom component uh, being tied to this, you know, singing and teaching one another, um, it's a means of of corporate uh, kind of communal encouragement. Um, in wise living. Yeah. And admonishing, that's a that's a corrective term. You know, usually you think admonishment and you're you're someone's in trouble they're mm-hmm. getting a talking to. <laughs> so so here the admonishment mm-hmm. is following the, the music. That's great. So, yeah, I think it's a mm-hmm. spirituality passage, uh, and that shows us that spirituality is not just a purely mystical, romantic image. It has to do with the way we treat each other, the life as Christians. But it does show us that our moral life follows the inspiration of our mm-hmm. heart, guided by the Spirit. Yeah. Okay, we should move to the Gospel reading now, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. I will summarize this because it could be a little bit long. It's a parable about the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is light. And then there's a king who has a marriage for his son and is throwing a a feast for them for the marriage, uh, marriage supper. He invites the servants to come um, and they don't come. They've all got excuses. Um, They uh, had to tend to their farm or their merchandise. And then others treat the servants spitefully and kill them. So the king is angry, he sends his armies, and he destroys all of these people, the people that didn't come to the feast and the people that killed the servants. He destroys them and burns their city. And then he sends the news around the servants out, and he says, go find people to the highways and get them to the marriage. 
And so it says they found as many as they could find, both bad and good. So the wedding feast is now furnished with guests. The king comes up, he sees who's here, but he finds a man who's not wearing a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, that there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now this parable, I have to be totally honest, I find a challenging parable. They're sort of the main ideas, which I think are obvious enough, but when you sort of stop and think about it, it is hard to process, uh, maybe a little unsettling with all the details. Um, certainly a picture of divine judgment, uh, but what else is going on here, and, and what did this this guy without the garment do yeah. wrong? Well, um, the context of this uh, parable is uh, Jesus has made his triumphal entry, um, and so, you know, we're in the last week of his life, and uh, he's giving these parables um, in the temple, and he's, he's speaking against the, the scribes and Pharisees. Um, so you have parable of the two sons, uh, in which he says that, uh, you know, tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before the scribes and Pharisees, because <laughs> they're repenting, but you're not. Um, and then there's a parable of, of the tenants, where the master of the house sends a number of people. Uh, they, you know, they mistreat them all. He sends his son, they mistreat him too. And then, you know, well, the, that's going to lead to um, the the tenant, uh, uh, the tenants being put to death and then the vineyard being lent out to others, to um, a people producing its fruits. And, uh, and then, so it, it, it's in that context that uh, then this parable is, is also told. And so, I think we should see here uh, basically a, a parable about the, the calling of the Gentiles, as it comes to be called. Um, so, so Israel are those who are uh, invited. They already had an invitation to this great feast, uh, the, the Messianic feast that the prophets such as Isaiah foretold, um, but uh, they, they don't want to come. They're rejecting the invitation. They're not accepting Christ. Um, and so... Uh, that's going to lead to judgment on on the nation of Israel, and uh, historically we do see the temple being destroyed in AD seventy, um, and in Jerusalem being uh, you know besieged as well. Um, and then um, instead, you know, since those who are invited aren't aren't coming, go out to the main roads, invite as many as you find, and and so this is kind of a picture of the spreading of the gospel um, to the Gentile world, and you know. A number of people come in, so I think that's the the setting for the parable. That's not really addressing the final bit of it, but I think that's um, how we should uh, interpret the uh, the general frame. Yeah, yeah, the context definitely relevant. Um, right after the entrance into Jerusalem, triumphal entry, so full of messianic expectation, and then it's also in the middle of Jesus confounding the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that's that's where this actually appears. 
And yeah, I do. We think we I think we see both a near term redemptive historical judgment, uh, the the judgment on Israel, as you mentioned. And uh, when we say Israel here, we mean particularly the uh, old covenant arrangement, those who had that particular mm-hmm. calling. And so then there's a general wide calling, bringing everybody. And, and there's this picture that they're they're kind of worthless folks, right? The poor, um, the highways and the byways. In a parallel uh, passage in the gospel, uh, the same kind of story is told. And it just talks about the lame and the beggars and you know, bring them all in. But but even this crew, they're not necessarily uh, all good. You know, here it says the good and mm-hmm. the bad are brought yeah. in. So just because it's a wider net, uh, it doesn't solve that problem of it being a mixed field yep. of bring another tears. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So it's a kingdom parable, and it's it's a kingdom parable, I think, that's applicable both to that kind of first century intertestamental transitional era, uh, you know, the coming of kingdoms at hand, and it's also applicable to yeah. the final judgment and, uh, you know, what we could all expect at the end of the time. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that um, even specifically and especially the final bit, um, the day is coming when the king will come to look at the guests and he'll inspect and he'll be sure, is everyone here, you know, are they supposed to be here? <laughs> or, you know, essentially sorting out the bad and the good, sorting out the tares and the wheat, that is going to happen. And I, you know, I would see a more direct reference there to the second coming. And thus, this would be um, a text that is, you know, very fitly preparing us for Advent, um, the idea of the Lord's coming. But yeah, that's where we get this whole business about the wedding garment. And um, it, it, it may seem, in the context of the parable, it you know, it seems a bit extreme, maybe. Um, so, like, people are invited, like, just at the literal level, if it's just a li- being viewed as a literal story, you know, people are invited to a feast, and it's like, oh, yeah, come in. Bad, good, just come on in. And then they come in, and then the, the master comes, and he's like, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? Bind him, cast him out into the outer, uh, into the outer darkness. That's a pretty extreme response. And it's like, how would that... Yeah. No, you could imagine an answer, yeah, right? Yeah, I wasn't because told. I, I didn't like, even do anything. You brought me in without one. You brought me here. Um, and so, but that's where I think, you know, p- p- parables break down at the purely literal level. Like, this isn't just a purely literal level parable. I, I think Jesus is expecting his disciples, we're going to have to kind of read between the lines here a little bit in, in interpreting it and recognizing what's being referred to here. So if we understand... The, the basic idea being that um, that the kingdom is now being opened to the Gentiles and and, and uh, his servants are, are gathering, you know, a wide net, bringing many people in. Well, that doesn't mean that we're not telling people that they don't really need to, you know, repent or believe or anything like that. Of course, that is part of what we're doing. But the idea is that even in, in spite of that, uh, you know, people are going to get in who, who, who do not actually know the Lord. Um, and, and, and that's the basic idea. There's going to be people in the kingdom who, who don't actually know the Lord, who don't have true faith and repentance, and, 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 uh, and thus, you know, are hypocrites, essentially. And, and the day is coming when uh, the kingdom will be purified. The king will, you know, remove all such. But that is going to be the second coming, you know, ultimately. Um, now, that doesn't really answer what the wedding garment is. Um, that's something Stephen can certainly answer. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, um, no, I think it's right. This is a, a statement about uh, the relationship between objective and, and subjective covenant membership. And some of our listeners may be familiar with that. Um, there, there are extremes in both directions. You can have the purely subjective approach, which denigrates the sacraments, even going to church. You, you hear that often around modern Americans. Um, but then there's the, the opposite extreme, which maybe is a temptation for a lot of Anglicans that, hey, as long as you're baptized and you're, you haven't been excommunicated, that then you're good to go. That's all you need to know. And I think a parable like this mm-hmm. is a is a challenge there. That no, no, you might be invited to the feast. You might be sitting at the table, mm-hmm. but there's a problem. Now, what is the problem? <laughs> That's what you just asked. And I did a little mini survey through some sources, and you can see a. You can see changing emphases depending on what time in church history you're reading this. Uh, the early church fathers, I just kind of browsed through Augustine, Chrysostom, Gregory the Great, they all pretty much say the same thing, that the wedding garment is charity, uh, you know, a faith that is formed by love and leads to you keeping the commandments of God over the course of your life. Mm. That's the wedding garment. So you need to have that for the last day. Now, you could obviously take that kind of a reading into a a very moralistic direction, right? Um, You know, and I think that would be one way people would read that and find it relatively terrifying. But uh, that was certainly the way that those theologians took this. Um, Luther, he takes it differently. He says, no, no, the, the garment is Christ himself. And he talks about the language in the epistles that you must put on Christ, the new man. Uh, and that is language that could be a literal reference to you know, wearing a garment. Uh, so put on Christ. That one, I think, for us Reformed Anglicans is, is a right doctrine. We sound That sounds good. Uh, it might be a right doctrine, wrong text situation, though. Um, it doesn't seem like that is in the immediate context of this parable. Um, not to say that there's nothing to it, but I find that a little bit of a strained reading of the parable as such. Um, not terribly different than, I think, R.C. Sproul's take. I remember he put out a children's book. I don't know if you ever encountered this, Clayton, and it was uh, mm. about the, the, the feast and the, the garments. And it was this little boy who didn't oh. have on the right clothes, that sort of a thing. Um and the punchline of that book is, well, the king will actually go get him the proper garments and clothe him in the right garments, the garments uh, of Christ. So mm-hmm. you know, very similar to what Luther's saying there. Um, again, right doctrine, but I'm, I'm not sure that that's how Matthew is laying it out here. You know, he, he mm. doesn't tell it that way. Um, then uh, Calvin and Matthew Henry, they both have, I think, pretty much a similar take that uh, what's really meant here is sincerity, you know, a, a true faith. Um, and so, yeah, works are going to be important because they are the fruit and evidence of a lively faith. You have to have uh, a life of holiness. Uh, but it, the point is not the amount of works. After all, these are beggars and highwaymen, people mm-hmm. that were brought in. 
But the point is that you are sincerely responding mm. to the gospel call, mm -hmm. uh, truly believing, uh, having a humble heart. Um, and, and Calvin actually says it doesn't really matter if you take the garment to be faith or works. In the long run, the big picture, right. it'll get you to the same place that what what the king is looking for is a true servant who actually is following mm -hmm. him from his heart. Absolutely, yeah. I think that I resonate with that. I mean, if we're just looking at the language of being clothed, well, that's used multiple ways in the New Testament. Like Luther says, at times it's, you know, uh, you, you, you've been clothed in Christ. You have put on Christ. Um, you know, in baptism. And, uh, you know, it's Galatians 3, I think, Galatians 3. Um, so that language is there. But then there also is that language of put off the old man and his practices put on the new. Um, or actually a, a really close parallel is, is, is Revelation 19, where there's um, uh, the voice of a great multitude crying out, Hallelujah, uh, the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So there's a really close parallel, and I think that's what um, inclines, you know, folks like Augustine or Calvin at least to be open to the idea that maybe the garment here is referring to this, you know, the, the righteous deeds, the fruits of faith being necessary. Um, and so that, you know, I, I, personally I'm right. a bit more inclined to that, but I recognize theologically that it is the case that uh, prior to that, um, we are clothed with Christ and his perfect righteousness. And uh, the, the, uh, the, all our righteous deeds are the necessary you know, fruit of faith, but it is the fruit of faith. Um, also, that language of fruit is what is immediately used in the preceding parable. Um, and at the end of Matthew 21, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. So... Um, and also notice in Revelation 19, it says it was granted to her to clothe herself. So it's always it's always God's grace, you know, ah, granting it, whether it's that, um, you know, it's, it, it's grace to be justified, you know, forensically adopted, all that. It's also grace to be sanctified and, and be given um, the, the spirit, you know, pr producing his fruits in us. So it's all grace. Yeah. Another another near association I think of, you know, triumphal entry, mm. uh, the, the fig tree. And Jesus curses the fig tree because right. it doesn't bear fruit. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think these are all, uh, these all are very close. They go together. And the punchline here would then to be, once you've been invited in, you must actually be a true guest. Right. You, know, you have to you have to participate. You have to eat. You have to to cheer cheer the good news of the king's wedding. Uh, you have right. to be a full participant from yes. the heart. We shouldn't get so caught up on what is this specific wedding garment that we lose sight of. The point here is you need true faith. You need true repentance, and that is going to you know, and that is going to bear fruit. Like that's the reality, right. regardless of how you interpret that particular image there. Um, that's the idea here being, you know, c communicated. Yeah, and then the, the punchline, the last verse, many are called, but few are chosen. In the Greek, those two words, called and chosen, actually have a common root. So that would that would just resonate on your ear as a, as a play on terms, uh, kaleo, eklecto. Um, uh, there will be lots of folks who have some level of call or invitation, who have some 
broad relationship to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. But then there's going to be a subset of those people who are actually chosen, accepted, allowed to fully participate and receive the benefits of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference? Well, that's a question that shows up all throughout the scriptures. You know, mm -hmm. what is God looking for? Um, a true, true contrite heart. You mm -hmm. know, someone who who fears Him, who serves Him, uh, who doesn't merely profess with his lips, but is actually sincere and draws near inwardly. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And when you put it that way, it's. Uh, I mean, this is a message that the daily office is just saying every every day, right? <laughs> uh, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Uh, uh, give us true uh, faith and repentance, unfeignedly to obey your commandments, right? Uh, grant us thy Holy Spirit um, and true repentance. We're, we're, we're asking God to do that every time we say the prayers in the prayer book. Hmm. Stephen, just curious, how much should we read into many are called, few are chosen? Many, few. Uh, well, yeah, I remember, um, I think it's B.B. Warfield. He has a little essay called, like, are there few that will be saved? Something like that. Uh, and he answers, no, there's going to be a giant multitude. Um, so mm -hmm. we have to be careful with how we interpret yeah, many and few. Um, at bottom, it means there's a larger group who have an external calling, and then the true choosing, those who are actually elect in, in the full sense of that word, uh, that's a smaller subset of that group. So I do think we have to, to say mm. that. Now, um, mm. I think that we can interpret that to just mean it at any given moment. We, we don't have to get out the, the tables and... You know, starting in year zero, yeah. running it all the way into the distant future, and then tally the heads. Uh, that's right. really not what's in view here. That's kind of taking this beyond its scope. I just think it means at any given point, when you're looking at the community of faith, um, the the circle of those present in the room is going to be bigger than those who are are true believers and adherents. Uh, so that's how I take right. it. Um, it's not really about uh, adding numbers for how many are going to end up in heaven and how many are going to end up in hell. That, that's not the focus. Um, it's more about mm -hmm. in the moment of when you're being presented with the gospel. Right. Yep. No, I think that's true. Uh, you, you could definitely press this too far, and I think there are ways that you could see that. Like, many are called, few are chosen, always. So that means in my church, most people aren't saved. It's like no, you're you're pushing this right. way too far. But but there is that idea of um, there is that idea of there's the external call which is going to go out wider. It's going to go in fact to everyone who can hear it. <laughs> um, but then among those, not everyone's going to respond or or respond appropriately in sincerity. Uh, so I think that's the yeah. And the point here, the sort of pastoral application, is for each individual person to ask themselves the hard questions. You know. Am I responding to his word? Do I believe? Am I here to celebrate the marriage of the king? Uh, that's what we want to happen. And some of the other right. issues and questions are distraction or pulling us off from that. Yeah, that's very good. And that doesn't lead us to a kind of morbid, joyless introspective, because what are we doing? We are cheerfully accomplishing <laughs> those things that God wills. Or in Ephesians 5, 
we are um, filled with the Spirit, singing, giving thanks always. Um, that's the marks of the Christian community. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's that rather than a kind of, ooh, I'm not sure. Um, I should always just be not sure and constantly, you know, grimly trying to see yeah, where I'm it's at. still a marriage supper and festival, isn't it? Uh, this judgment yeah. is sort of an, uh, a, a distraction or a side uh, event that is there. It's real, uh, and it's sort of unfortunate that it has to happen. Uh, but the main event is still the wedding party. And so uh, once we have examined our yeah. hearts and come to the feast, then we should do so uh, joyfully and cheerfully. Okay, now the Old Testament readings. We've got... Um, Two uh, morning prayer and even song readings. The first is from Joel chapter 2, a famous chapter, the day of the Lord. I won't read all of this. It's a bit lengthy. But it starts off by saying, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm, for the day of the Lord is coming, a day of darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness. And here we are. This is Advent. This is, this is the second coming, right? Um, mm. Horses mm -hmm. and war horses and chariots. The earth is quaking. Sun and moon are darkened. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. And then it goes on to talk about how the Lord was jealous over his land, but he has pity on his people. And he does send grain and wine and oil, and he restores them. And then in verse 21, it says, mm -hmm. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. Verse 23, be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant mm. rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. And at the end of this whole chapter, mm. it says, it shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And then it ends again with this judgment, signs and wonders. But it says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Hmm. So, so terror and alarm and judgment, but also vindication, salvation, uh, blessings. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, so what is this day of the Lord like? You know, what what kind of day is it? Well, it's, it's a day of darkness and gloom, uh, clouds and, and thick darkness. It's great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Um, and it's a day of, you know, fear not, be glad, rejoice. Uh, he's, he's, he's going to bless you. He's going to give you plenty. He's, he's going to save you. Uh, he's going to pour out his spirit upon you. There's judgment and salvation uh, associated with it. And I think this pairs really well, really, with the epistle and gospel. Um, so, you know, he's going to come and he's going to, you know, inspect the, uh, uh, the wedding hall. He's going to come and, and, and judge, and he's going to sort things out. He's going to render to each their due. <laughs> and, you know, that's a, 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 you know, it can be a frightening thing to imagine. Who can endure it? Um, you know, the, the prophet Joel uh, likely has in view a, a near-term uh, judgment on Israel here uh, when he says these things, but all in anticipation of, of the great day when all nations will receive this. Um, and so... So what's the response? Yeah. Like, what do we do? Well, uh, return, repent, you know, rend your hearts, not your garments. This takes us back to um, like Ash Wednesday, right? Um, and Lent. Um, re- return to him for he's gracious and merciful. He will turn and relent, leave a blessing. And then it kind of transitions to this. He's going to have pity and rejoice and fear not and be glad and rejoice and sing. Make hymns and songs to each other, you know, in your hearts, <laughs> right? Uh, it it kind of all comes together. Right. Here, um, all those notes that we've been seeing of, um, you know, the Lord's coming, uh, live properly. There's some repentance involved, right? There's some contrition. Um, but then there's also confidence that he is gracious and merciful and he will forgive and have pity on those who uh, truly repent and, and, uh, and, and trust in him. So I think you have it all coming together here uh, in Joel 2. It's, it's, it's such a beautiful passage, uh, this one. This is... Also uh, famously quoted by Peter at Pentecost in Acts yeah. chapter 2. He says, that's what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God has poured out his spirit and everyone's prophesying. So right. reading that redemptive historically, that means the, the judgment and sort of the apocalyptic stuff happened. And then the spirit is out and they're getting the, the blessing of all of that. So mm-hmm. the thing that preceded that is the death of Christ, his judgment that he takes on. Yeah. And now the people that have the Spirit are signifying that God has given vindication and blessing to those people. Yeah. Now, that kind of interpretation shows you that it can't be simply one-to-one chronology, because obviously Peter is also warning the Jews that are listening that they're in danger. Uh, so the people that are following Christ, they've got the Spirit, they've got vindication, but those who don't, they're still the ones hearing the alarm sounds. Yeah. You know, repent. It's not too late. Maybe God will relent, but judgment is coming. Right. So you have this kind of—we uh, joke in reform circles, this expression, already and not yet, but it really works. You know, you've already yeah. got it all. It's already happened uh, for those in Christ, but it, it hasn't fully uh, unfolded externally on the world yet, and so they still have that calling to come into Christ. So this yeah. kind of simultaneous reality here. And that yeah. can hold together the paradox of judgment and joy. Um, we are living in a time of anticipation of judgment, but we can do so cheerfully because 
we have the Spirit, who is our vindication and the first fruits of the final judgment. Mm. You know, we we are That's we good. have that final end times verdict in the present because of our possession of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Wow. Um, one part of this that I've heard, um, like referenced, um, uh, just kind of in the broader Christian world, is that notion of you know this locust. Uh, invasion um, and, you know, are the locusts literal locusts? Are they, um, is it a nation? It, it, it doesn't really matter <laughs> in one sense. Uh, you know, you can answer that how you will, or it could be both. Um, but what I've heard is that that notion in verse 25 of um, that the Lord will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Um, so like, you know, uh, his judgment has come on you for your sin, but but now in his grace and in his mercy, he's going to restore to you even what, you know, what his judgment had taken away. Um, and, and that word for restore is the word for to, to make whole, which is used for, uh, in fact, like paying for things, making compensation for things, buying things, recompensing. And it, it makes me go back to the epistle, make best use of the time. Uh, literally redeem the time, buy that time back, um, and it's a similar notion here. God will will purchase. Uh, he'll make whole. He'll pay back the the time in this you know year of mercy, um, the time that that went toward your judgment. He will more than make up for. I don't know. It's just a beautiful image, and you could kind of relate it to a similar idea uh, in the epistle. Okay. The the. Even song first lesson, Micah 6, we'll have to move quickly through this. Um, it is a, an indictment passage. Uh, the Lord says, arise, plead your case, but hear the indictment of the Lord. And the rest of the chapter is basically God just telling his people that they are uh, evil and wicked. They, they have not been faithful. They've not done what is right. And at the very end of it all, it says, um, Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales, with a bag of deceitful weights? So, you know, am I going to judge you and find you innocent when obviously you're, you're, you're not? Um, you will be judged, he says. Uh, you have kept the statutes of Omri and the works of the house of Ahab. You've walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation hmm. and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how it ends. It's clear that this is a condemnation judgment. Mm-hmm. Then right in the middle of the chapter, and this is the famous part that we've heard before, he says, this is what you should have been like. This is what, what I really am looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so verses 6 through 8. Uh, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Mm. Uh, I mean, what a statement, right? Should I sacrifice my firstborn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, this is Psalm 51 taken to another level. Um, I do not desire burnt offerings or sacrifices. Uh, walk humbly, do justice. Um, love mercy, do justice. Walk humbly with your God. Uh, that's what God's looking for. Yes. And so this would tie in with the garment, right? This is what you need to be clothed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's where my mind went as well. And seeing this as an indictment on specifically on the Lord's people, it you know it just takes you back to that imagery of he's coming to the wedding hall and he's you know inspecting, um, and he's seeing the sin and he's calling out you know he's calling it out. But yeah, here he's indicating what is what should characterize my people. Um, and yeah, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. This notion of you know what does the Lord want? What will He be pleased with? Uh, should I sacrifice this or that or the other? It takes us back to what we've been seeing with the interplay between Jesus and the Pharisees for the, you know, in the past three or four Sundays with the whole kind of emphasis on the more externalism side of things. Um, when in reality, the the ceremonial laws, the sacrificial system were, you know, they're not just like ends in themselves, but rather they're pointing us to Christ. And, and um, in fact, you know, Jesus says in a couple different ways, you know, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, uh, qu- quoting um, the prophets when he says that. Um, but yeah, just that notion of the sacrificial system is a kind of symbolic thing that was instituted temporarily to point to something greater, whereas the moral laws is, is, is always there. And it's always, you know, um, what should be characterizing us. And, and we need to weigh these things rightly. And, and so this is a text that really, you know, powerfully... Uh, uh, it uh, illustrates that. Yeah. Yeah. Do justly love mercy. That's a nice paradox, or maybe not paradox. We might think it's a paradox, but that's the point is it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do justice and also love mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more justice you do, uh, the more you'll also appreciate mercy. Because mm-hmm. you'll be confronted with your your own injustice all the time, <laughs> yeah. um, and of course, mercy is doing good uh, from the heart, yeah. and in all of this, you'll be humble. Yeah, that's that is a remarkable pairing in Micah. Um, uh, Micah seven will end with, "Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever." Because he delights in steadfast love. He delights in mercy. So it's there as well. And yeah, to have that paired right next to justice is is, is remarkable. Um, but it does show us what God's like, going all the way back to his revelation to Moses in Exodus 34. I am the Lord, gracious, compassionate, you know, merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I won't clear the guilty either. You know? um, this is who God is, and it should characterize us as well. There's the justice, but there's also the mercy um, yeah. And so when we think about, yeah, withstanding God's judgment, uh, we, we should rightly kind of think about all of our deeds and, and be pretty terrified by that, right? <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're probably not going to have a great standing just like that. Um, but that doesn't mean who cares we don't we don't do anything, um, you know, simply kind of a profession of, of uh, confessing our sins and taking comfort in that. It is a true kind of running to God, saying, help me, uh, take care of me, provide salvation. Um, 
and then that sincerity that comes after that uh, is going to mm. demonstrate itself in the fruit of sanctification. Mm. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, we can can stop here for the week. Uh, yeah, a heavy week. Uh, I mean, boy, a lot you could do there. Um, any of these passages has plenty of material to preach on, to meditate on. Uh, taking them all together gives you really the full spectrum of both justification and sanctification. Uh, yeah, really rich week, uh, 20th Sunday after Trinity. Well, you've been listening to the BCP Proper's podcast. I'm Stephen Wedgworth. My co-host is Clayton Hutchins. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can check us out on uh, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, really any of the major uh, platforms that have uh, podcasts online, uh, and share it with, with your friends. Tell them about it. We'd appreciate that. And uh, tune in again next week as we press on through the Book of Common Prayer.